Some days are terrible, you wish that you were dead And some days are magical, like grape banana bread Someday we'll be friends with the voices in our heads The voices in our heads Guys! You're still here and you're not dead and you didn't kill yourselves. And I'm Christina Hutchinson. Welcome to the voices in our heads. Oh man, I'm recording this episode on Sunday night and it comes out on Wednesday and I'm recording it Sunday. You might say that's very responsible of me, but I say I'm going away for Corinne's birthday upstate in New York and I need to record it now. Um, But the presidential debate didn't happen yet. I will have watched it by the time you listen to this. I couldn't have commented on it anyway because it's Tuesday night. And I mean, I send these recordings to Mike like mad late, but like I can't wait until like Tuesday night. You know what I mean? So if anything crazy has happened in the world on Monday or Tuesday, I'm not going to comment on it because I'm recording this on Sunday. And that's not how time works. Okay. (sighs) Oh, I like these late night recordings because I'm in a I'm in a I'm in a goofy mood. I'm always I always I come alive at night, man. I'm well, I come alive in the middle of the day. You know, I'm not a morning person. Definitely not a morning person. I'm not really a late at night person in terms of being out in the world, but I will stay up until four a.m. I'm a I'm a early evening gal, man. When five p.m. hits, woo! I'm coming to life. Here's some shows that I'm doing. Um, if you want ticket links to this, well, for the first one, you have to email me. The Voices in Our Heads podcast at gmail.com. New New York. The next one is going to be Saturday, October 3rd. Uh, shoot me an email if you want to be on the guest list to receive the ticket link. I These shows have been selling out. Man, the shows were so fun. Last show, which was this past Saturday, we had David Tell close it out. And I, will, I, I hosted it, and I had all this shit that I wanted to do up top for my hosting portion because hosting makes me nervous, which is so silly because it's like a podcast. It's so similar to doing a podcast, except you're actually interacting with human beings in real time. But, you know, the sentiment in terms of the mentality of the person, at least in my head, is similar. So I was like, I'm going to do all of these fun bits when I host. I didn't do any of them. <laughs> like, God damn it. But that's what happens. Stand-up comedians are not, we're not doing as many sets as we used to. So anyway, thank you to every person who came out this past Saturday to New New York, hosted by myself and Donna Guerreros. That fucking woman, let me tell you something. She's on to something. And I want to be a part of it. I'm so excited to be working with her. I'm really happy that throughout the corona quarantine, I have... Join forces with people who make me better, who inspire me to be a better version of myself. And I have not spoken with people who make me feel bad or sad or mad or guilty. Not to say that it's that person's fault. It's my fault. Um, It's no one's fault. But I just, I'm really in the zone of being surrounded by people who inspire me to be great. And none of them are men. And they're all women. And I'm really grateful for that. You know, I'm really grateful. New New York, October 3rd. Tempe, Arizona. Thank you to the person who DM'd me on Instagram to let me know that that was not, Tempe is not how you pronounce it. I really appreciate you, girl. Because, boy, do I look like a little turd. 
pronouncing shit confidently, but incorrectly, you know? So Tempe, Arizona. Tempe, Arizona. I'm going to be at the Tempe Improv with Corinne Elizabeth Fisher, October 8th through the 10th. Comedy Works in Denver, Colorado. Corinne Fisher and I are going to be inside of you October 22nd to the 24th. And I'm going to be mm, stoned. Not for the shows, though. I cannot do comedy high. Holy crap. I don't have it in me, y'all. Let me tell you something. New York is not dead. But boy, is it weirder outside. It is weird. And the Citizen app is the app that tracks all the crime. I don't recommend you download it. Well, mm, okay. I, t- I, I walked that back. I, I, it's good that I know that there's all these attempted rapes in my neighborhood on my block because now I don't go out past midnight. But boy, is that sad, you know? I gotta get me a weapon. And I was talking to Tony, my super, love that guy so fucking much. I was talking to him uh, the other night and I was like, yeah, there was like an attempted rape on right by me, right by me at 11 p.m. I mean, it can happen at any hour, but I was like, 11? Shit, I don't know why that jarred me and the proximity. And I was like, Tones, I gotta get a weapon. I only have pepper spray and I don't really know if it works because I haven't tested it out because I don't want to accidentally like walk into it and be blind. But then Tony suggested there's this thing you could get. It's like a metal rod and then it, 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 it expands. And when you hit somebody with it, he said, they feel it. And I was like, that sounds cool. But then I was like, can I just get a knife? But then can you imagine me trying to stab somebody? I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would take out the knife and then I would try to talk them out of their decision. I wouldn't use it. I couldn't fucking use a knife. Because you know what? One of the terrible things about being so empathetic is that I see through the worst people's pain. Even if you're trying to kill me right then and there. God, Lynn Coplitz. Lynn Coplitz is a stand-up comedian that you should know. Look her up. She's fucking hilarious. She has a great bit about if a rapist ever tried to break into her window, and I'm paraphrasing here, please know that, that she would hug the rapist. She would just hug it back and like, you're not going to rape me. I love you. It's just such, it's such a funny bit. I, I wouldn't do that, but I would, I would be like, all right, now let's, let's see. Was it your mother who was a jerk to you or was it your father? <laughs> I should teach a self-defense class where it's just interrogating the other person's childhood who's trying to harm you. Because it's something. Look. Look, that's a clue. You know what I mean? If you're attempting to rob a person or uh, sexually assault a person, methinks your mother or your father or both were pieces of shit. And while that does not give you an excuse to do t- terrible things, because, motherfucker, we're living amongst people whose parents were pieces of shit to them, and they're nice. Okay? So you made a wrong turn down down Sadsville, and now it's turned down Angryville, and now you're trying to fuck up my life? I don't think so. Actually, maybe I would stab a person. I don't know. But I know you can't have a knife in New York, I don't think. I could look all of this up, and I will eventually, but if anybody's got any hot tips on the latest self-defense weaponry for women to carry around, the Voices in Our Heads podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, New York is weird, man. Yesterday, I went outside to smoke a cigarette, and there was a young woman, I don't know, like 25, cute. She was actually really pretty. And I was like, you're really pretty. I didn't say that to her, but I thought it. And she looked a little stressed and I was like you okay (laughs) because that's the other thing I love about New York if someone's crying I'll just start talking to them like it'll be okay even if I'm just pat even if it's just in passing 
Like, I'm sorry you're going through whatever you're going through. Like, New Yorkers just start talking to each other, which I really enjoy. And uh, she was like, yeah, the, the lady, the, the building next to me is where she was staying. Her boyfriend lived there. He was out of town. She was staying in the apartment. And she's like, a lady or a, a homeless person, she said, a homeless person went inside the vestibule of the building between the entryway and the, the second door to lead into the building. Because in New York, we need to. Mm, bad guys. And the homeless person was in there and they locked the front door. And she's like, well, we no, the residents don't have keys to the, the very front front door. We have keys to that second door. Sometimes buildings work like that. And um, I was like, oh, that sucks. And I looked in and it was a woman. And I was like, ah, you don't see a homeless woman that often. And... And she was an Asian lady. I'm like, you really don't see any Asian homeless people that often at all. So Asian and a woman. And I was like, oh, good for her. I mean, you know, she seemed like she had a, a, an operation because she had a cart of stuff. So I was like, yeah, she's probably changing or something. You know, that's what I thought. I'm like, yeah, she's fucking changing. But then she, so the, the, the girl didn't know what to do. And here, the, here's the thing. COVID, you don't know. I'm not a fan of calling the cops for that, but it's, she couldn't get in her, she couldn't get in the building. And because the woman, you know, locked the front door and the residents don't have keys. So she's like, I don't know what else the fuck to do. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I honestly, I, I get, I get, I guess calling the police. But here's the thing where we can improve uh, 911. Maybe sending not a person with a gun for that type of situation. You know what I mean? I just feel like that's not. But, you know, all we have right now are the cops. And they're like, oh, you want to defund us? Cute. We're not going to police. So she was waiting and I was like, yeah. And then the woman came out. And she said that she was trying to get up. Her friend lives on the fifth floor, but her cell phone died. And then I looked down at her shoes and there were none, but there were a bunch of plastic bags with like a rubber band. And I was like, okay, you know, she's uh, very clearly doesn't have a, a person up there, but she really did sound pretty with it. And she was like, well, my friend is on the fifth floor. So, you know, if you want to walk in, and I'll go behind you. And I was like, don't do that. Because I could tell that girl, that girl went from around here. So I was like, yeah, don't do that. And then she kept, the woman kept getting really, she kept getting angrier. And, um, and I said very calmly and, you know, hopefully, I was trying to be respectful and calm and not assuming that she was just trying to pull a fast one. And I was like, oh, well, there, is there a buzzer to your friend's unit? And she said, well, I can't call him. I'm like, okay, but is there, there's a buzzer. Every unit has a buzzer, right? Maybe you could buzz him and it'll help you bring it down. And he's like, well, he's on the roof. I'm like, all right. So it's very clear, you know, that there's no person there. There's no friend. She didn't know anybody. But she was trying to get this girl to walk into the second door so she could follow her. I'm like, that's not. I mean, this woman doesn't seem like she's dangerous, but you never fucking know. You know what I mean? We always underestimate women. That bitch could have had a knife. You don't know. So when she started to get ang angry, I was like, yeah, you, I think you made the right choice with the, with the cops. Unfortunately, that was all you, we have to call in New York. Um, and and then eventually, the, when the cops pulled up, she left. And I was like, eh, you know, that worked out. You know, no one got hurt. She peaced out. She didn't get arrested. You know, I don't, you know, I didn't want that to happen. But it's just like, what? what? And then I was in Rite Aid earlier. And a guy, the security guy was like, 
sir to this other guy like you stole you have you have stuff in your bag i saw you steal it and then he was like push me motherfucker i dare you and i was like well i need to go because i just bought my lotto tickets and my travel accessories for when i'm with corinne on her birthday trip and i had to buy travel face wipes and stuff and so i was about to leave but then in front of me in blocking the door was a confrontation between the security guard and a man who claimed he didn't steal stuff but he really had the tone of like i did and i was like this is uncomfortable and then another security guard came up and then they started just yelling at each other and i was like oh this reminds me of my mommy and daddy i have to go and i snuck by them and i was like damn new york is a little weird out at night a little weird out that's okay that happens but man, I've lived here for a long time and I've never felt uncomfortable or, or not safe until the corona. And uh, boy, oh boy, boy, oh boy. Um, so yeah, I'm going to be, when you're listening to this, I'm going to be away from Kevin. I'm leaving Kevin for three days and guys, woo, I got to breathe through it like Lamaze because I'm stressed out, y'all. I am so goddamn codependent on my own fucking dog. I was here sitting worried that I was making him go dependent on me. But no, he has perfectly intact self-esteem. I'm the one who's like, I can't leave my baby for three days. But my friend and personal trainer who I've been working with for years, Talia, is going to be staying at my apartment. Super clutch. She's moving soon. And it's actually the last couple of days she's going to be in New York. So I was like, good, because you're the only person I trust to be in my home. Because I don't want Kevin at another place because he's not going to be, he's just going to be freaked out. Like if I could help it, obviously, because we can't bring dogs to where we're going. And I was like, that's scary. But also this is good practice and exercise for me to let go of my baby for three days. Oh my God, I'm going to miss him so fucking much. So by the time you are listening to this, I'm going to be missing my baby but anyway talia is gonna stay here um for three days at my apartment so i'm like cool that's that's the best for kevin and she doesn't mind and it's perfect i wanted to plug her i meant to do it like two weeks ago but she does zoom i work out with her over zoom or skype rather facetime whatever and yo let me tell you something she does high intensity um she does a hit class every sunday for free if you follow her on instagram her instagram handle is at talia t-a-l-i-a training you know how to spell that. And uh, I highly recommend you follow her. She And if you're looking to hire a personal trainer, she can do um, Skype chesting. I work a goddamn motherfucking sweat when I work out with her. And I am still in shape during all of this crazy quarantine crappiness. And it's because of her. Because, man, if I don't have someone telling me what to do and when to work out, I won't do it for whatever reason. I, I ebb and flow with my hobbies and I haven't been rollerblading lately because I've been fucking busy y'all doing very exciting things but I'm busy so I haven't been blading lately so I'm so glad I'm working out with her anyway you should hit her up on Instagram if you want to look into personal training um I highly recommend it uh guys you know what it's been a while let's do some fuckboy theater Okay, okay, fuckboy theater. Um, because the palate quen- cleanser is going to be emails from teachers, so I got a good palate cleanser. So I don't mind showing you lifting the curtain and showing you 
the absolute scum of our human population, y'all. Okay, this is a fuckboy's bio. I'm just going to read a bunch of them because I'm not doing Fuckboy Friday on my Instagram really anymore because I don't feel like spreading shittiness. You know what I mean? It is funny, but at a certain point, at least for me, it's sad. But doing it over a podcast makes you feel better, especially if I can give you a palate cleanser immediately after. That will restore your faith in humanity. So this is a guy's bio. His name's Dan. He's 30 years old. And his bio reads, his bio, okay? This is his bio. It's the first thing that Dan wants you to know. I've earned a $3 million net worth by the time I was 29 by myself. So please don't be chubby. You know, you can go fuck yourself, Dan. You can go fuck yourself, okay? Just because you earned $3 million, what did you do? Sell cocaine? And amphetamines, because they're pricey these days. I don't know how much cocaine is, but I heard it's fancy expensive. If you get the good stuff. Dan, suck my clip. Anyway, next one. This is a conversation between a girl and a fuckboy named Rob. So, what's your go-to karaoke song? And then Rob writes back. Two weeks later. Roses are red. So are your lips. Sit on my face. And wiggle your hips. Rose emoji. Oh, that made it better. And then she replies, Roses are red. Violets are blue. Believe me, I'd never do any of that with you. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Rob. God, there's so many people. I'm not on dating apps yet, but um, I realize, like, if my really close friend, if, if, if a guy on a dating app has the same first name as a close friend's ex who sucked, I, I swipe no. And if the per guy has a name of one of my exes, I swipe no. One that scarred me, I swipe no. So all of them, no. <laughs> oh, it's fun. Okay, this is, um, oh, this is actually very sweet. So here we go. This guy's named Cav. He's 27 and... He wrote to this girl, even during the corona pandemic, the most contagious thing is still your smile. So he tried. He also looks very nice. Okay, here's the guy's bio. His name is Piece of Shit. <laughs> I don't know. His name's blocked, so I can't see it. This is his bio. This is what he wants you to know right off the bat. Nudes are played out. Send me a video of you reading out loud so I know you're not dumb. Okay. <laughs> Hey, piece of shit. Here's me reading. <laughs> Farted in your mom's eye. Now she got pink eye, bitch. And so do you, because you're crap. <laughs> I'm really killing it. This girl sent me a screenshot of a guy who contacted her on Hinge. She resp he responded. His name is Jeff. He responded to one of her photos. And it's a photo of her and her friend. Hiking in the mountain. And the caption is my favorite thing to do while social distancing. So it's hiking. And this guy responds to this girl's photo and says, on a dating app. So, what's up with your friend on the left? Jeff, suck my clit. Suck my clit, Jeff. <laughs> Fucking idiot. And then here's one last message from a guy to this girl. So the first thing he says to this girl. If I told you you had a beautiful body, would you hold it against me, winky face emoji? Because girl, you look so good, 
I wish I could plant you and grow a whole field of y'all. 100 emoji. And scene. Got Fuckboy Theater! Oh, Christ. I am so glad I'm alone. Okay, so let's read some teacher emails. If you sent me an email, um, I've read it. Thank you for sending me your stories. Got a bunch of them, which was wonderful. I'm going to read the ones that have Amazon wish lists attached. And, and well, one about a girl who did learn what a female orgasm was. Because we need to know that that happens. Um, and then all of these Amazon wish lists, I'll put the name of the person who wrote just the first name of the person who wrote the email and I'll say, this is so and so's Amazon wish list on the resource section of my website. It's christinahutchinson.com. Okay. So when you're done with this episode, I'll remind you at the end. Let me remind myself to remind you, teach your shit, take well, shit in a good way and in an empowering way. Teach your stuff. Um, hopefully I remember to remind you, um, christinahutchinson.com and then there's a tab that says like the voices in her heads or whatever it says and then uh or resources or something you'll see it it's there and then i'll put all these amazon wish lists let's buy teacher shit to make the kids lives better and then maybe we won't be up to our faces and poop okay so here's a bunch of emails from teachers hey christina i'm a teacher uh uh i'm a new teacher and i teach high school bio and earth science cool I'm 26 years old, working in Ventura County, California. I, ask, I actually ask my students at the beginning of the year to answer these two questions. One, finish the sentence. I wish my teacher knew, dot, dot, dot. And two, is there anything in your life that distracts you from school or any personal information that hinders your ability to learn? I will not share this with the rest of the class. I also follow a book called The Growth Mindset Coach and lead activities for students to practice using a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset. It's really powerful. I also have an Amazon wish list. It is incredibly sweet of you to offer to share. And so I'm going to post that, christinahutchison.com. And that was from a lady named Aiden. And her last name is Kelly, and that was triggering, but it's okay. Let me highlight that book too, and I'll put it in the resource section as well. Um, here's another teacher email. Hey, Christina, I wanted to let you know how much your stay in school episode meant to me. I was tearing up as I listened. I'm a speech language pathologist in Chicago public schools, working in three very underfunded schools where almost all the students are black or Latinx. Being an educator in schools like this is really hard. We are often understaffed, which means that students are in classes of 30 or more kids. Ugh, that's unfortunately common. Don't get the special education support they need. And don't get arts education. Oh, that breaks my heart. Everyone needs the arts. God damn. I alone provide speech therapy services to 55 students a week. My students have lived through so much trauma, gun violence, police brutality, incarcerated family members, homelessness, poverty, food insecurity, physical and emotional abuse, etc. And it breaks my heart. My students are poor. Black slash Latinx and disabled, which means they are constantly being told directly and indirectly that they are not valuable. I am giving all, I'm giving my all every day to fight this and make sure my students feel safe, respected, loved, and empowered when they come to work with me. I know they are capable and I want them to see it too. Hearing your episode was so validating, 
of all the mental and emotional work I put into supporting my students. Here are some things I do in my sessions with my students. I start every session with a feelings wheel where we look at a wheel of emotions and ask each other how we're feeling and why. I participate too and I try to be honest about my feelings and model uh, expressing uncomfortable emotions, not just happy every time. That's smart. When a student voices an uncomfortable emotion, I try to validate it and say, thank you for sharing that. Sometimes we feel mad and that's okay. God, I wish someone told me that shit. I am honest but encouraging with my students. When they're about to try a new skill, I say, this is going to be hard, but you can do it and I'm going to be here to do it with you. Oh, that feels so good. And then I back that up by giving them whatever they need so they can do the skill. On my getting to know you activity to start the school year, I include the prompt, I don't like when adults dot, dot, dot. Oh, that's a good one. Take that, y'all, if you're a teacher. Adults rarely ask kids for their opinions, especially in a school setting, and listen to them. So I wanted to give them a chance to give feedback. I included the link to my Amazon wish list. I work with a lot of students whose primary language is Spanish. So I really need bilingual and Spanish books to read with them. And then I have her wish list. This lady is named Anna. So I'm going to put Anna's wish list and I'll put like she's from Chicago or something so that you know. But man, if you have funds available that you can purchase a book, a book isn't that expensive on one of these teachers wish lists. Yo, that's a good thing. Do a good ass thing today. Okay. Here's another one. Hello. I love the show and I love the topic this week about education. I'm a first year teacher this year and overwhelming doesn't begin to describe beginning a first year teacher in a pandemic. Oh my God. First year. I have been feeling burnt out already this year and your podcast was this week was so helpful with pushing those uh, back those feelings. I teach family and consumer sciences. Oh, cool. With focuses on teaching students valuable life skills like cooking, sewing, personal finance. Oh, fuck yeah. Interior design. Oh, that's cool. Interpersonal skills and much more. I loved when you talked about self-esteem and teaching students how to learn. I cover both of these topics with my middle school and high schoolers, and I hope uh, they take away skills that will better their future. I related so much to the things that you were saying, and I'm very lucky to work with amazing teachers that value students and their backgrounds. Multiple teachers, including me, do something similar to the note activity you talked about. I have a mailbox in my room that students can write me mail and I read it. Is the mail so fucking fun? Sometimes it's happy notes and they share things they're proud of, and sometimes it's heavy notes about their home lives. Either way, I appreciate them sharing their experiences with me and think the exercise is so beneficial. I attached my Amazon wish list below. I would love for you to share it and it'll make my classroom even better and safer this year. Allison. So we got Anna, we got Allison, we got Aiden. Oh, that's some A's, y'all. That's crazy. The universe is crazy. Oh, and then this is the girl who, um, I'm just reading this excerpt from her email because she learned what a female orgasm was and I just needed to know that to move, to keep keep on keeping on y'all. Okay, in 10th grade, my health teacher absolutely taught us the female about the female orgasm. I vividly remember her telling us that the clitoris has no known purpose but for pleasure. And that was one thing we had on men. <laughs> I was not sexually active at the time, but I remember feeling empowered and appreciative. So if you're a teacher whose job it is, is to teach kids about the birds and the bees, please take note and teach them about the goddamn clitoris, please. Because boy, a lot of people. I mean, I've never had somebody not know where it is. But they just don't know what to do with it. 
You might as well not know where it is. You know what I mean? Hey, Christina, this is the final email. In an old school, uh, in an old school letter a bit ago, I mentioned my wife was an author. Your most recent podcast mentioned roles of teachers in child in a child's life, and I thought a book she's written might be able to help someone in your audience. My wife, Kate Maupin, is a former gifted education teacher, among many other roles, and wrote a book titled "Cheating, Dishonesty, and Manipulation: Why Bright Kids Do It." Oh, I'm intrigued. In many cases, bright kids are misunderstood by their teachers and parents. Maybe I was too, because I was gifted for a year. And then they were like, I'll take all your gifts back. You never even had them. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm a piece of shit. Okay, cool. Anyway, this book is directed towards parents and teachers of these kiddos, who despite being gifted, are often chastised for their behavior instead of being redirected and taught how to more productively direct their energy. And we could all use some of that. I could write a synopsis of the book, but unlike my wife, I'm not an author and wouldn't do the book justice. Well, there's a man who knows his place and his skills. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, I've included the Amazon link to it, which uh, has a decent picture of her on the back cover. So I'm going to also include um, this book, Cheating, Dishonesty, and Manipulation, Why Bright Kids Do It. I love that title. That has me hooked, y'all. Speaking of Tempe, Arizona, and I've been pronouncing it wrong, did you know... That it's not the, this is a car company. It's not Volkswagen. It's Volkswagen. That's how you're supposed to say it. My dumbass is like, Volkswagen, it's a wagon and it's got all my Volks in it. I was on, the, I was on this app called Bored Panda. So it's when I want to scroll through something, but I don't want to see Donald Trump's face. So I need to, or anything bad. So I just look at that app. And sometimes it's like face kittens are near death. And I'm like, well, fuck you for showing me that. But there, there was one um, entry, like a series of photos. And it's like, you think you're pronouncing this word, right? But you're not, you stupid bitch. It said something nicer than that. But one of the things was Volkswagen is actually Volkswagen. Because obviously it's not an English American company. But I was like, God damn. I don't want to pronounce it like that. I, well, I want to keep pronouncing it Volkswagen. I want to be a part of the herd, y'all. I don't want to stand out and do it properly. But when I learned that, I was like, I'm not saying, could you imagine? Someone's like, hey, Christina, are, were you thinking of still getting a car? Yeah, you know, I was thinking, you know what? I test drove a, a Volkswagen the other day and it was really cute. I liked it a lot. So I think I'm going to get a Volkswagen. <laughs> Fucking. I hate, man. I, I, but I have no business Sometimes people will be talking in a very American accent and then there'll be a word that's not American and they'll pronounce it like so fancy. And I'm like, all right, okay. But if English is the only language you speak, you don't have to do that dance with me, baby. I can't spell, okay? I can barely read out loud. So you don't have to do that. I, was, I did watch the news uh, this evening and... CNN. I was watching CNN. And they were saying that Trump only paid $750 in taxes like a year in 2016 or whatever the fuck. $750 in taxes. And I got to say as someone who has paid a lot in taxes, I don't mean to be a, a bragging bitch about this, but it it might Last two years of tax bills, they hurt. They hurt. I was like, oh, that's that's how many commas in my tax bill, huh? Are you sure? Can I write off? Can I write off? 
everything and they're like my accountant's like well we did and i'm like okay you sure you got everything they're like yeah and then they're like why are you taking all so many cash deposits i'm like well that's for the weed and that's none of your goddamn business so one could say that could be a write-off and they're like nope i'm like okay well then shut the fuck up and mind your goddamn beeswax and they're like well i'm your accountant i need to know why you're taking out so much cash a month i'm like you don't need no shit luke that's not his name anyway Trump paid 750 bucks in tax. $750. Wow. Wow. Go fuck yourself, dude. Okay. Go fuck yourself. You walking wound. Okay. You're a walking, oozing, bleeding wound. And that's not an insult. That's the goddamn truth. I do feel bad for you, but goddamn, do I never want to ever encourage anybody to vote for you. But, you know, vote, motherfuckers. It's your right to exercise. You vote for whoever you want. But, woo, I ain't voting for you, boo-boo. $750, you fucking piece of shit. When I paid my taxes this last few years, I, I, I almost cried because I was like, that really hurts. Wow. But what I thought was, you know what? I live in New York City. I use the resources here. And I, it, is, it is my honor, and I have to look at it this way, otherwise I'll cry, to help support the city that I love more than anything else in the world. So I sign that check and I go, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go cry and eat some ice cream now. But whatever. You pay taxes. You pay taxes. And look, I know there's motherfuckers that are, I'm, I'm sure, on the fence of who to vote for. And I, if you are of a sound mind, this bitch paid $750 in tax. Are you fucking kidding me right now? That is Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. I mean, all oh, he's done a lot of things that I'm like, oh, 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 okay, no, okay, no. So I was watching that news segment. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? And then I thought to myself, I was daydreaming. And I was like, how, guys, how cool would it be if all of the diehard Trump fans, and I'm talking about the motherfuckers who stand behind him at the rallies and know they're going to be on camera and they willingly are on camera. And they're cheering for him willingly. I'm like, what if all those people were actually playing a prank on everybody else? And come election day, Trump got no votes. And they all douse their MAGA hats and gasoline and light them on fire. And they're like, gotcha. And then everyone just comes outside and we, hug, we air hug each other and breathe a sigh of relief. I mean, that's the world I want to live in. It's not the world I do live in. But how cool would that be? That was my little daydream I had earlier. I'm like, that would be so fucking awesome. I'd be like, you did get me. Wow, I really thought you had me, man, because I thought you were piece of shit. But you're a prankster. Sure, you stressed me out with the prank, but the end result makes me happy. How cool would that be? How cool would that be? Let's get into uh, chapter 15 of Nathaniel Brandon's The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. I really like this chapter. It's not emotionally heavy. That's part of why I like it. I'm not going to cry on this episode. Well, never say never, but I don't think I'm going to. The title is called Self-Esteem and Work. I fucking love that song so much. Goddamn, Rihanna's so hot and so cool. Okay, anyway. Anyway. Let's read, let's read some of Nathaniel Brandon's beautifully put together words on self-esteem as it relates to work. 
Let us remember that the primary meaning of self-esteem, it is confidence in the efficacy of our mind, in our ability to think. By extension, it is confidence in our ability to learn, make appropriate choices and decisions, and manage change. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good reminder. Because sometimes change happens and I'm like, I can't take it. I'm on a spinning wheel of doom. When in reality, my self-esteem was just shit. The survival value of such confidence is obvious. So is the danger when that trust is missing. Studies of business failure tell us that a common cause is executive fear of making decisions. But it is not just executives who need, who need trust in their judgments. Everyone needs it. And never more so than now. I mean, that's good. That's a good one, Nathaniel Brandon. What did I write? I wrote a note here and I wrote it in cursive and I can't read my own goddamn handwriting. Oh, that's right. So, so self-esteem, especially as it relates to work, I, this chapter is so fascinating in talking about specifically the American, the ways in which work has changed in America. Because you need self-esteem to be confident enough in your ideas to give your ideas a solid shot. And if you work, you don't have to work in a creative field to have to be, to, to be required to be creative in your job. And so many times, my first couple jobs out of college, I worked at a temp agency and they placed me at this real estate company and I was a front desk girl. And then they really liked me because I'm fun. And I have a smile on my face. Behind those smiles were deeply buried tears, but I didn't even know that at the time, y'all. But a lot, my, one of the notes that I've always gotten in every job is like, take more initiative. And I'm like, can you just tell me what to do and then I'll do it? But now I realize that's because I didn't have good self-esteem. Because I'm just like, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. So this chapter talks about as time evolves, the need for self-esteem rises because the nature of our work is changing. We're not in a manufacturing society, specifically in America, like we once were. Machines are taking place of a lot of physical labor that humans used to do. But that does not mean that there's less jobs. It just means, these are my words, not his, that the jobs required of us are going to require us to be thoughtful, to take initiative, to be creative. And in order to eat, do any of that shit, you got to have self-esteem to raise your hand in the board meeting and be like, excuse me, Bill, I have an idea. And then you say your idea. And then a man raises his hand. And then he says the same idea if it was, was his. And then Bill goes, well, you lady, I don't know, are you on your period? S Craig, that is brilliant. That's never happened to me, but I've heard it happen to other people. Um, on demand. Oh, yeah. And th that's the other thing. There's so many, like our lives are changed. At least my, if you live in a major city in America, because I don't know what the services are offered in other major cities around the, around the world. But there was a time before COVID where I could have a massage therapist come to my home on demand through an app. I can have, and I can still have this, a car come to my home and take me wherever I want to go. I can have, and I still do this, uh, a laundry, I call the laundry app people and they pick up my laundry. I mean, there's a lot of services that people are, you know, that are in front of people as options. And so, but but you have to be creative and innovative and, and confident in your efficacy and your ability to, to work to be able to even have these ideas for these companies and then actually pursue them and make it happen. So we're gonna consider, everyone knows 
that there have been major developments in the past few decades in the national and global economy. These developments have all contributed to making the need for self-esteem more urgent for all of those who participate in the process of production, from the leader of an enterprise to entry-level personnel. So let's go into all of these things. Number one, the shift from a manufacturing to an information economy, the diminishing need for manual or blue-collar workers, and the rapidly growing need for knowledge workers with advanced verbal, mathematical, and social skills. This chapter is so interesting. We are manufacturing more goods by far than ever before in our history, but with far fewer people. In earlier decades, roughly half the working population was employed in blue-collar jobs. Today, that figure is less than 18%. And estimates are that in not too many years, it will be 10%. So you ever go to a cashier, you ever go into a CVS, and then there's no person to ring you out, so you have to go to the robot. And then you're like, all right, robot, you talk too slow for me. And then you're like, maybe I should reevaluate my pace. That's personal. In the United States, the market for unskilled labor has shrunk appallingly. Appallingly, that is, for those who lack education, training, and basic reading, writing, and arithmetic skills. Leave them with little to contribute. The demand today is for people with knowledge. Knowledge is power, y'all. Today, one needs an education. One needs formal training. Or else, one needs to be extraordinarily gifted at self-education, which a lot of people are. Because you can learn anything from the internet. And one needs to understand that the process can never stop because new knowledge begins to make one's trading obsolete almost as soon as one completes it. The army, this is interesting, the army was the only model for a large-scale organization anyone had at, at one point, obviously. Creating the first modern steel mill, Andrew Carnegie, he owns a lot of buildings, sent his second-in-command to study the organization and communication system of the Prussian military and adapted many of its principles to his industry. And that, I mean, so you can kind of tell, like, people are figuring, like, strategy is a huge part of a business now. And you could hire people specifically to go study other people and come back and go, this is the strategy I think is going to work for you. I mean, that is a, a layer that was not in the workplace a long time ago, okay? A few key executives projected the goals and formulated the strategies and tactics the organization was to follow. This is Carnegie. A few bright engineers made their own contribution. Any knowledge or information about the business or about the wider economic context was the prerogative of this small group. So let's skip down. As technology evolved, the demand for more advanced levels of skills in the operation of equipment increased. But there was no demand for higher education or creative thinking or self-management or autonomy. Such values might make a substantial personal contribution to the average individual's life in terms of enjoyment and satisfaction, but not in terms of income. And that's, you know, obviously in previous decades. Today, in a complex business organization that orchestrates the knowledge and skills of financial, marketing, and salespeople, engineers, lawyers, system analysts, mathematicians, chemists, physicists, researchers, computer specialists, designers, healthcare professionals, experts of every kind, what we see is no longer management and workers, but an integration of specialists. There's a lot of specialists. And the more you know, the more valued you are as an employee. Number two, number two, y'all. The, con uh, the continuing and escalating explosion of new knowledge, new technology, and new products and services, which keep raising the requirements of economic adaptiveness. 
So these, these, are, these are all reasons why we need more self-esteem in the workplace. These are the things that have been changing about the economy. Scientific breakthroughs and techno, uh, technological, Christina, scientific breakthroughs and technological discoveries are pouring from our laboratories and research and development departments at an unprecedented rate. 90% of the scientists who have ever lived are alive now. That's fucking crazy. Until very recently, for the hundreds of thousands of years that human beings have existed on this planet, people saw existence as essentially unchanging. They believed that the knowledge possible to humans was already known. As I observed earlier, the idea of human life as a process of advancing from knowledge to new knowledge, from discovery to discovery, is only a couple of seconds old measured in evolutionary time. That's so crazy. Number three, the emergence of a global economy... <clears throat> I cough not into the mic, of unprecedented competitiveness, which is yet another challenge to our ingenuity and belief in ourselves. God, competitiveness. That'll make your self-esteem just poop on the floor if you didn't have it to begin with. In the decades immediately following World War II, the United States was the undisputed industrial leader of the world. We were at the height of our economic power. With the other industrial nations struggling to recover from the wreckage of war, those fucking bombs we dropped on goddamn Japan. We had no competitors. Our workers were the highest paid. Our standard of living was beyond most of the world's imagination, if not beyond its envy. In the 1950s and 1960s were the time of the organization man. Not independent thinking, but faithful compliance to the rules was the road to success. Not to stand out, but to fit in was the formula for those who wanted to rise. Just enough self-esteem to maintain a decent level of competence within the framework that existed, but not so much self-esteem as to challenge basic company values or policies. What the company promised in exchange was lifetime protection and security. Quote, be a company man and the company will take care of you, was the promise. Self-denial for the good of the company was a high value that found a ready audience since for thousands of years, human beings had been taught that self-denial was the essence of morality. Self-denial for the tribe. Self-denial for God. <laughs> for the king, for state, for country, for society. And now we're all individuals fucking unique. And then he talks about how Japan had a fucking glow up, y'all. Yo, Japan? I was watching a documentary on Disney Plus uh, about all the islands of Japan. First of all, and I'm not ashamed to admit this, but it's a little embarrassing. I didn't know Japan was a bunch of islands. Oops. It is. And it's, what a beautiful, oh my God, I want to visit Japan one day. It looks so beautiful. Um, but they had a motherfucking glow up, my words, not Nathaniel Brandon's, after World War II. And they were basically one of the leading countries to manufacture cars. Them and Germany, who manufactured the Volkswagen Global com competition is a far more powerful stimulant to innovation than domestic competition. Other cultures have perspectives, other ways of seeing things. Their ideas bring a richer mix to business thinking. But for this reason, a higher level of self-esteem and competence is required to play in this arena. At first, American workers and executives refused to acknowledge the Japanese might be pursuing practices worth emulating. Goddamn American pride and ego. No one's better than me. And if they actually are going to shove that deep, deep down in a hole and pretend I don't see it. 
Only the shock of devastating competition from Japan and Germany, creators of the Volkswagen, awakened the U.S. automobile industry from its complacent slumber. Whether it awakened in time remains unknown. Probably not, y'all, because Detroit's fucked. The point now is not that we are in an irreversible decline. The point is simply one of the major changes in the world with ramifications for business in general and our need of self-esteem in particular is that we are now operating in a context of constantly escalating challenge. The challenge is to our creativity, flexibility, speed of responsiveness, Adderall, ability to manage change, ability to think outside the square, or the box, ability to get the best out of people. Economically, the challenge is to our innovativeness and behind that, to manage our ability. Psychologically, the challenge is to our self-esteem. Oh, I see how you brought that back to your goddamn point, boo. Go ahead. Number four, the increasing demands on individuals at every level of a business enterprise, not just at the top, but throughout the system for self-management, personal responsibility, oops, like that, self-direction, a high level of consciousness, and a commitment to innovation and contribution as top priorities. So in other words, you got to be a goddamn go-getter. You know, if you want to, if you want to own a McDonald's one day, which you make fucking bank, bitch, if you own a McDonald's. I think you make a pretty good salary if you're a manager of McDonald's, from what I heard a while ago. Go to McDonald's, apply for a job, and be a, have a great attitude. And, you know, do your job right. But also have a good attitude. And I guarantee, in a year's time, I really do, unless you're like 12, well, you can't work, you shouldn't be working when you're 12, maybe like 16, maybe it's a high school job. But if you have ambitions of, this is just an example, but like, Going to McDonald's and owning one one day? Fucking go as an employee. Be the best goddamn drive through motherfucker there ever was. Then everyone wants to come during your shift because your smile. And you're like, ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm better than everyone else working at this McDonald's. But you don't have an ego about it. You just do not say, okay? And then I feel like you could be a manager pretty soon. And then one day you own the business, okay? But you got to be a go-getter. I wasn't a go-getter in a lot of my day jobs. But that's, I mean... I say that, but it's not a diss. I didn't want to be doing that. I wanted to be a famous actress and a stand-up comedian. So I wasn't applying myself because I didn't give a shit about the job. Although I did give a shit about the job the first like month or two that I worked there. I was so good at it. And then I lost motivation because I was like, this job, I don't like this. I don't, this is not my priority, which, you know, not the best attitude. But then I would slack. And then my bosses would be like, what happened? You used to be such a go-getter. I'm like, well, you should go back to fourth grade and ask when my gifts got taken away, okay? Because I only had them for a couple months. So maybe that fucked me up. I don't know. But it's important to be a go-getter. It's, it, and it's noticeable. That's why your employer, if you're easy to work with and, and you have a good attitude and you're innovative and you don't wait for somebody to tell you what to do, they're going to notice it and, and, and promote you, uh, you know, ideally. From the boardroom to the factory floor, work is understood more and more clearly as an expression of thought. As equipment and machinery have become more sophisticated, the knowledge and skill required to operate them has arisen accordingly. Employees are expected to monitor them, service them, repair them if necessary. Why don't you just blow them too? Anticipate needs. Ugh. Solve problems. In a word, function as self-respecting, self-responsible professionals. Well, you could say that, couldn't you, Nathaniel Brandon? A modern organization elevates the practices of teamwork to new heights of virtuosity while simultaneously requiring a core 
of individualism in each participant. Because thinking is an activity of an individual mind, and so is self-trust, and so are tenacity, perseverance, and all the other mind traits that make achievements possible. To quote Charles Garfield in his study of the new policies and philosophy of some of our leading-edge corporations, second to none, I guess that's his book, quote, in an area that demands partnership at every level, a time when our emphasis must shift towards cooperative efforts, the individual paradoxically takes on far greater importance. We can no longer afford to operate companies in which masses of hired hands are chronically underutilized, while a few heads at the top do all the thinking. Competing in an era that demands uh, continuous innovation requires us to harness the brain power of every individual in the organization. So everyone counts unless you're working for a piece of shit. Five, the entrepreneurial model, entrepreneurial, that's a hard word, model and mentality becoming central to our thinking about economic adaptiveness. What does that mean? With the advent of capitalism and the emergence of the early American entrepreneurs, a number of shifts in people's consciousness took place. It is noteworthy that all have a direct bearing on our need for self-esteem. The question is, what has your birth determined you to be was replaced by the question, what have you made of yourself? Ugh. In other words, identity was no longer something one inherited, but something one created. And I mean, I want to create my own goddamn identity because the shit I inherited ain't going to work for me. I'm turning the page. The average farmer or shoekeeper was not an innovator. He was typically more self-reliant, or she, than his or her predecessors, to be sure, more independent and more resourceful, evidenced by the facts, among others, that he may have left his homeland in Europe to make a new life in America, and that the looser social structure in the new world, the greater freedom, threw him more on his own and demanded greater self-direction, and therefore greater self-esteem. But within the knowledge context of the period, Economic adaptiveness demanded of him neither high levels of education nor innovativeness. His mind, learning ability, and decision-making capabilities were not constantly challenged. But you hear about, you know, if you heard the term immigrant mentality, all my friends that I know who are, who are um, children of immigrant parents, boy, they're farther along than I am. <laughs> it's true. If low self-esteem correlates with resistance to change and clinging to the known and familiar, the never in history of the world has low self-esteem been as, as economically disadvantageous as it is today. If high self-esteem correlates with comfort in managing change and in letting go of yesterday's attachments, then high self-esteem confers a competitive edge. The more stable the economy and the slower the rate of change, the less urgent the need for large numbers of individuals with healthy self-esteem. However... The more unstable the economy and the more rapid the rate of change, which is clearly the world of the present and future, the more urgent the need for large numbers of self-esteeming individuals. And let's go to number six. What is it? The emergence of mind as the central and dominant factor in all economic activity. I don't know shit about economics and stuff, but I, I did understand this and I was very proud of myself. He, he's also a really good writer and explains it well. Wealth is created by transforming the materials of nature to serve human purposes, by transforming a seed into a harvest, by transforming a waterfall into a source of electricity, by transforming iron ore, limestone, and coal into steel, 
and steal into the girders of apartment buildings. If all wealth is the product of mind and labor, of thoughts directing action, then one way to understand the transition from an agricultural to an industrial society is to say that the balance between mind and physical effort is profoundly altered. Physical labor began to move along a declining arc of importance while mind began to climb. As an extension of human intelligence, a machine substitutes the power of thought for the power of muscles. While making physical labor less demanding, it makes it more productive. As technological development keeps evolving, and boy is it ever, the ratio keeps shifting in favor of the mind. And as mind becomes more important, self-esteem becomes more important. I mean, duh. Microchips are made out of sand. Can you believe that? Yo. I mean, isn't glass sand? You don't have to email me that. I'll look it up later. Microchips are made out of sand. Their value is a function of the intelligence encoded within them. A copper wire can carry 48 telephone conversations. A single fiber optic cable can carry more than 8,000 conversations. Yet fiber optic cables are cheaper and more efficient and much less energy consuming to produce than copper. Well, that's a whole lot of good news, huh? And here's the challenges um, to individuals in this ever-changing economy and, and, the, and the more stress on the importance of, of a mind, of a, of a highly functioning human being with self-esteem, who is assertive, who will speak their ideas. Here are some challenges. Uh, to require appropriate knowledge and skills and to commit oneself to a lifetime of continuous learning because boy you got to keep learning never stop learning which the rapid growth of knowledge makes mandatory to work effectively with other human beings and that's hard y'all because i know a lot of us ain't in the office anymore but i the human behavior i witnessed by watching two people interact with each other who did shit differently it's fascinating and you need to have self-esteem and able to not take shit personally, shout out to my boy, Don Miguel Ruiz. And to know that, okay, this person just does stuff differently. To work effectively with other human beings, which includes skills in written and oral communication. Because boy, sometimes you get a cunty ass toned email and you're like, is that bitch being a cunt? But if you have self-esteem, you can effectively communicate your dissatisfaction with their style of communication if it's appropriate to the situation which healthy self-esteem will allow you to actually evaluate. Where was that, goddammit? Oh, oral communication. <laughs> oral. The ability to participate in non-adversarial relationships, understanding of how to build consensus through give and take, and willingness to assume leadership and motivate coworkers when necessary. Another challenge is to manage and respond appropriately to change, which is, can be hard and overwhelming. To cultivate the ability to think for oneself without which innovation is poss impossible. Consider the issue of benevolence, goodwill, and the ability to interact with others constructively, which relates to a positive sense of self. Men and women, and non-binary people, of healthy self-esteem do not seek to prove their worth by making others wrong. I repeat, people of healthy self-esteem do not seek to prove their work by making others wrong. So if some piece of shit on a group project with you keeps pointing out your errors, just know he hates himself. I mean, it's not going to help the situation, but just know it's not you. They do not approach relationships with the gratuitous belligerence. It is self-doubt and insecurity that see all encounters with staff, superiors, subordinates, customers, clients as overt or covert war. Oh, those are some good words. 
If more is offered to individuals than ever before in our history, in opportunities for fulfillment, achievement, and self-expression, more is asked of them in terms of psychological development. (sighs) We're all fucked. (laughs) Just kidding. And this section I really loved, bringing out the best in people. Leaders do not usually ask themselves, how can we create a self-esteem supporting culture in our organization? But the best and most conscious often uh, of them do ask, what can we do to stimulate innovation and creativity? How can we make this the kind of place that will attract the best people? And what can we do to earn their continuing loyalty? And that's why I fucking respect the shit out of teachers. Because <sighs> these opportunities, obviously, you need to be good at your job. But if you're not, you can also be a teacher. We've all had those teachers in our lives. And I really wish that the public education system would work harder and figure out creative ways to attract the te- and pay them well, pay them a living wage for God's sakes. Because don't forget to look at those Amazon wish lists at the end of the episode. Oh, I reminded you. Um, but it's not the end of the episode yet. So stay here. But like, are you fucking kidding me? I mean, those emails I read from teachers who are doing their goddamn darndest and still cannot afford books for their kids, for their students. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. And I support y'all. You teachers, you're doing the Lord's work. An organization whose people operate at a high level of consciousness, self-acceptance, and acceptance of others, self-responsibility, self-assertiveness, and respect for the assertiveness of others. That's an important one. Because sometimes someone will be assertive, and I'm like, you're a bitch. And then I'm like, am I internalizing the male gaze? And then I'm like, yeah. Purposefulness and personal integrity would be an organization of extraordinarily empowered human beings. These traits are supported in an organization to the extent that the following conditions are met. And here are some. People feel safe, secure that they will not be ridiculed, demeaned, humiliated, or punished for openness and honesty or for admitting I made a mistake or for saying, I don't know, but I'll find out. Hey, it is very important. I don't care how intact your self-esteem is, but if you are in a company where you get punished for admitting a mistake or for making a mistake, then the odds of your employees admitting when they made a mistake and instead trying to cover it up or do a half-assed job are going to be pretty high. Here's some more. People feel accepted, treated with courtesy, listened to, invited to express thoughts and feelings, dealt with as individuals whose dignity is important. People feel challenged. People feel recognized. People receive constructive feedback. They hear on how to improve performance in non-demeaning ways. And like I said, you can be demeaning to a person with high self-esteem, but that is creating a real shit poopy-ass work environment, isn't it? Uh, Non-demeaning ways that stress positives rather than negatives and that build on their strengths. People are given clear-cut and non-contradictory rules and guidelines. People see that their rewards for success, this is a good one, I'm going to start over. People see that their rewards for successes are far greater than any penalties for failure. In too many companies where the penalties for mistakes are much greater than the rewards for success, people are afraid to take risks or express themselves. That's what I'm saying. You could be the most self-esteem motherfucker, but if your company will punish you harder than they will reward you for doing a good job, you're going to get poop out of them for work. Or at least not the best. Here's one more. People experience being treated fairly and justly. They feel the workplace is a rational universe they can trust. 
aka free of racism, free of sexism, free of homophobia, free of harassment and rape. Okay? Ugh. I'm getting mad for all the people that were mistreated. And there's a shitload of other examples, guys, that I'm not going to read. But if you get by me by the book, if you want to fucking read it. Again, this is a summary. I can't just read you the whole book, then just get the audio book. Why don't you, you know? A leader's role. The primary function of a leader in a business enterprise is one, to develop and persuasively convey a vision of what the organization is to accomplish. And two, to inspire and empower all those who work for that organization to make an optimal contribution to the fulfillment of that vision. And to experience that in doing so, they are acting in alignment with their self-interest. The leader must be an inspirer and a persuader. The higher the self-esteem, so not Trump, the higher the self-esteem of the leader, the more likely it is that he or she can perform or they can perform that function successfully. A mind that distrusts itself cannot inspire the best in the minds of others. And that reminds me so much that that phrase, a mind that distrusts itself cannot inspire the best in the minds of others. I, I automatically thought of stand up during that because I thought of me hosting during this last new New York. I don't think I did a very good job, but that's OK, because I'm not going to knock it out of the park every time. And if I expect myself to knock it out of the park every time, I'm a perfectionist setting myself up for failure and I'm a piece of shit. I used to be like that, but I'm not anymore. I, and I try to be as realistic as uh, about my performance as I can. But the, when, especially when hosting, the second a comedian walks on stage and the audience gets the feeling that they're nervous or they don't trust their own mind, the comic doesn't trust themselves or the comic is worried about what you think, the audience is going to not like you. I was going to say hate. That's a little too strong of a word. But the audience is not going to like you and they're not going to even pay attention to what the fuck you have to say because you're not confident in what you're saying. So there's that. If degrees of self-esteem are thought of on a scale from 1 to 10, with 10 representing optimal self-esteem and 1 almost the lowest imaginable, then a leader is a leader who is a 5 more likely to hire a 7 or a 3. Very likely, he or she will feel more comfortable with the 3, since people often feel intimidated by others more confident than themselves. AKA Corinne Elizabeth Fisher. Happy birthday, girl. It's her birthday. Go wish her a happy birthday. Not yet. I'm not done. Multiply this example hundreds of thousands of times and project the consequence, the consequence, and project the consequences for a business. I mean, yeah, it sounds terrible. Warren Bennis, our preeminent scholar of leadership, tells us that the basic passion in the best leaders he has studied is for self-expression. Their work is clearly a vehicle for self-actualization. Their desire is to bring who they are into the world, into reality, which I speak of as the practice of self-assertiveness. Ooh, that word gives me the willy still. And finally, the policies that support self-esteem are also the policies that make money. The policies that demean self-esteem are the policies that sooner or later cause a company to lose money simply because when you treat people badly and disrespectfully, you cannot possibly hope to get their best. And in today's fiercely competitive, rapidly challenging global economy, nothing less than their best is good enough. And if that didn't trigger you about your over-demanding father, I don't know what would, but he does mean well. Guys, that's chapter 15 on self-esteem and work. Next week, I'm very excited, we're going to be covering self-esteem and psychotherapy. 
And as a reminder, just because you meet with one therapist does not mean they are the right therapist for you, okay? They might be a piece of shit therapist. They might be a wonderful therapist, but not good for you. This is one of the questions I get asked all the time. So I just want to throw that out there in advance of next Wednesday's episode. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Please go to ChristinaHutchinson.com and there's a resource section tab. Please, if you have the means, go to these teachers' Amazon wish lists and give a kid a goddamn book, okay? It's the, it's the least you could do if you have the money. And if you don't, do not feel guilty about that. I to, it's, it's, this is, we're in a, we're in a, I don't know if you noticed, but times is shit sometimes. And especially times like now. So obviously, if you're struggling financially, please do not, you know, do not allow yourself to feel any sort of bad. But if you have the means, I do believe as citizens who have the means to donate money, it is, we should do that, okay? We can all help make this world a fucking better place. So buy a goddamn kid a goddamn book. I love you so much. Congrats on not killing yourself this week, guys. I'll talk to you next Wednesday. Work, 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 work. You see me heavy work, 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 work. You see me do me da, 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 da. It's so many better work, 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 work. Where you walk all out, la, 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 la. I'm in the cafe, my ta, 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 ta. Join me, I desert you. No time to have you lurking. You make a walk, now you don't like it. You know I dealt with you the nicest. Nobody touched me in the righteous. Nobody text me in a crisis I believe that all of your dreams are duration You took my heart, all my keys, and my patience You took my heart, all my sleeve, for decoration You mistaken my love, I brought for you for foundation All that I wanted from you was to give me Something that I never had Something that you never seen Something that you never been mm-hmm. But I wake up and then nothing's wrong Just get ready for work, 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 work it's to me, I be work, 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 work. You see me do me da, 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 da. It's so many better work, 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 work. Na, 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 na. When you walk out, na, 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 Before the table, turn, 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 turn. Beg you something, please. Baby, don't you leave. Don't leave me stuck here in the streets. Uh-huh. If I get another chance to, I will never, no, never neglect you. I just hope that it gets to you I hope that you see this through I hope that you see this true What can I say? Please recognize I'm trying, baby I feel why, 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 why It's in me, I feel why, 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 why It's in me, do my da, 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 da It's in me, but that why, 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 why When you walk out, la, 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 la When the cat from my ta, 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 ta Get done, 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 done at work, come over We just need to slow the motion Don't get out of way to no one Long distance, I need you When I see potential, I just gotta see it through If you had a twin, I would still choose you I don't wanna rush into it if it's too soon But I know you need to get done, 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 done If you come over Sorry if I'm way less friendly I got niggas trying to end me off. Yeah. I spilled all my.